what is the one thing, if you could have anything in the world, what's the one thing that you would ask for that would make you happy? Is it a little bit more money in the bank account just to get through some of these uncertain times? Is it that my marriage would just be like it used to be? Is it that this anxiety would just, just, just go away finally? What's the one thing in the world that you could ask for that, that would make you happy? A lot of what we do in life is, is driven by this question, by our desire to, to find happiness. Who we uh, choose to marry, who we choose to spend our time with, where we choose to live, what kind of job we choose to work, what our hobbies are, how we spend our pastimes, our free time. This is, these are things that are driven by this, this quest to find happiness. And the, and the Bible says a lot about happiness. Today as we look at Psalm 32, uh, we're going to see that. The Psalms are full of language of, of happiness, of joy, of rejoicing, and of sorrow, and pain, and suffering, the opposite of happiness. And so this morning as we look at Psalm 32, we will see that, that one of the places where we can find true happiness, true joy, is in confession and forgiveness. However difficult it can be, it's hard to admit that, that we've done wrong. It's hard to go to someone who we think we've hurt and say, I'm sorry, I messed up. However difficult it can be to offer forgiveness to others when we've been wronged. This, this life of, of confessing our sins to one another and to God and forgiving one another really is the only way to live. It is the only way to live a happy life. Refusing to confess our sin, refusing to forgive others, these are prisons that we trap ourselves in. We end up carrying a load that is way too heavy for us to bear. And so as we look at Psalm 32, the big idea this morning is that only the forgiven are truly happy. Only the forgiven are truly happy. If you are here feeling the weight of guilt over something that you've done or are doing, or the weight of bitterness against someone who's wronged you, this psalm is for you. It's, it's the personal story of David feeling agonized by guilt and shame over something that he's done. And finally confessing that sin to the Lord and feeling the release, the, the weight lifted off his shoulders, the joy, the relief of feeling truly forgiven. Confession is the path to forgiveness, and forgiveness is the path to joy. And so as you're able, uh, would you please stand with me, and I will read for us Psalm 32. A Maskil of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, first of all, off the bat, there's a couple of disclaimers that I'd like to get out of the way. Uh, the first word right there that we see that is not an English word, masculine in the head in the heading there, the subtitle. That's that's a word that uh, this is the first time we come across that word in the Psalms. This is a word that's used a lot in wisdom literature, like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, that just means instruction or or teaching or to make someone wise. And so this term in the heading then keys, cues us off to right away, this psalm is trying to teach us something. It was instructive uh, back when it was written, and it is instructive for us today. Uh, secondly, we see the word say law appear a few times. Uh, it's been a, a number of psalms since we've come across that word. That word is, is probably a musical or a liturgical term that just means to pause, uh, to, to be silent. And so when we come across that in the text, it was the writer's intent that you would pause and, and think about what you just heard or read. Uh, and lastly, uh, the word LORD appears in all caps. Uh, whenever that word appears in all capitals in our Bibles, that is the uh, st English stand-in for, for God's personal name, Yahweh, that he chose to reveal himself to, with to his people. And so this, there's this essence of, of, of personal intimacy in this psalm, David is not just talking to a God or a God way away, far away from him, but the personal God who knows him and he knows. And so I might use those words, Yahweh or Lord, interchangeably. Don't be thrown off. Uh, they are the same. All right. Verses 1 to 5 show us that confession is the path to forgiveness. The first couple of verses here, verses 1 and 2, they're, they're statements of what it's like to be forgiven. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. That word blessed can also just mean happy. And so it would be just as good to read this as happy is the one whose transgression is for forgiven. Happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no deceit. And, and it really is a happy thing to be forgiven. 
Why? Why is it so good? Why does it feel so good to hear those words, I forgive you? Because we, we can't control it. We can't force someone to forgive us. We can't convince them. We can't manipulate them. We can't talk them into forgiveness. It is something that is completely out of our control and yet can be so crucial to living a happy life. Have you ever been in a situation like that where uh, maybe you've, you've wronged somebody and a period of time goes by where they haven't been able to forgive you? That, that waiting period is painful. Trust is broken. Pain is present. It's awful. We don't know if that relationship is going to be restored. It can overwhelm our thoughts. It can take up our mental and emotional energy. And, and just because we've apologized to that person doesn't make them uh, owe us forgiveness. We need forgiveness for that relationship to be restored, and yet we have no control over it. And finally, when it comes like, man, that feels good, doesn't it? The weight lifts off your shoulders. The guilt is gone. The exhaustion of it consuming your thoughts dissipates. It, it really can feel like, like being a new person again in a lot of ways. Blessed is the one whose transgression, whose, whose wrongdoing, whose sin is forgiven. And that phrase in verse 1, whose sin is covered, might be a bit confusing because if you've ever tried to hide something that you've done, cover your sin, cover a mistake you've made, it doesn't exactly feel very happy. It can be very stressful. Kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? If you've, if you've done something wrong, maybe you broke something or, or did something that you weren't supposed to do. You try to hide it from your parents. That's, that feels scary. You're scared of being found out. You're scared of, of someone figuring out what you've done. It definitely doesn't feel happy to hide and cover our sin. And so the, the covering of, of sin in this verse is not done by the offender. It's done by God. To be forgiven means that God doesn't hold our sin over our heads anymore. He covers it with grace and he puts it away. That is what forgiveness from God looks like. Our sins being covered by his grace. Moving on to verses 3 and 4, we begin to get a bit of a picture of what it can be like to try and avoid confession, to try and, uh, try and avoid that we've, uh, admitting that we've done something wrong. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer, Selah. This is what it can feel like to, to try and keep our sin, our, our mistakes, our flaws tucked away in some dark corner out of sight. Because even if it's out of sight, it's definitely not out of mind. David, David says here his bones are wasting away. He's, he's groaning all day long. His strength is dried up. And who's doing this to him? 
It's the Lord. It's Yahweh. He says in verse 4, Your hand, speaking to Yahweh, was heavy upon me. God is the one who's, who's causing him to suffer like this. And there's this physical language, bones wasting away, groaning, strength drying up. Now, I'm not sure if this means that he was literally sick or if he's talking about more inner turmoil, but either way, it's, it's coming from the heavy hand of the Lord upon his life. What do you make of that? What, what do you think of the Lord causing someone to suffer like this? The Bible makes it clear that not all suffering is from sin. But sometimes we do suffer as a direct result of our sin and we will feel crushed under its weight. And God can use that suffering to bring us to repentance. Here in Psalm 32, God places his heavy hand on David's life and he allows him to feel the weight of guilt and and shame. That pressure, that anxiety of, of keeping it tucked away whatever else he might be going through, in order to bring him to repentance. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, yes, but this is also a blessing. His suffering is a blessing because it is, it's through this, this difficulty, this, this groaning, this strength drying up. It's through this difficulty that he comes to the realization of his desperate need for forgiveness. In verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Here, David finally acknowledges his sin. He chooses to uncover it and confess it confess his mistake to the Lord, and what happens? There is forgiveness immediately. And notice the return of that word cover. In in confession, David decides to finally uncover his sin, and God recovers it with grace. That's the very nature of confession and forgiveness. In confession, we uncover, and in forgiveness, Yahweh recovers. He recovers our sin as in he literally covers it again by his grace. And also our relationship with him is restored. It's recovered. In confession, we uncover. And in forgiveness, God recovers. And the forgiveness is right away. It's immediate. David delayed in confessing his sin, but God doesn't punish him more for for his stubbornness. He immediately forgives the guy. Like, you know, sometimes for us it can feel good to maybe withhold forgiveness for a bit. That person did something wrong, so maybe they deserve to feel guilty for a little bit longer. They hurt me. You know, they ripped me off. They lied to me. So I'm just going to hold this over their head just a little bit longer. But God isn't petty like we are. He, He wants us to confess our sin to him to repent and to ask for forgiveness. This is exactly why he afflicts David in verse 3 and 4. It's not as, a, as some sort of vindictive 
getting him back. It's to bring him to repentance. God wants to forgive him. And, he, and so he freely and generously forgives without delay once his sin is confessed. There's, there's no reason for us to delay coming to God, confessing our sin, and asking for his forgiveness. He will give it to us, and he will give it to us right away. And David confesses his sin directly to God. In the Old Testament, there was this sacrificial system in place where if you had sinned, if you had done something wrong, you became ritually unclean. And so you had to go to the temple and a priest would make a sacrifice for you uh, in order for you to become clean again. And while that's still in place during David's time, we, we see that true forgiveness doesn't actually come from the ritual. The sacrifice was there as a reminder for the people of the severity of their sin, but, but the death of a, a lamb or a goat or a couple of doves doesn't somehow forgive God into literally, for, or force God into literally forgiving them. This is, why, this is why it matters how we say, I'm sorry, how we apologize. I know when I was a kid, you know, I'd... Uh, get in a fight with one of my siblings or something, and my parents would go say, go, on, go say I'm sorry. And I'd be like, walk over, I'm sorry. And they're like, no, like you mean it. And I'd be like, I'm sorry. It matters how we say I'm sorry. It matters that it's coming from the heart because just those words literally coming out of our mouth doesn't, doesn't really, it's not really true confession. It's not really apologizing. True confession has to come from the heart. And when we really, truly repent and, and confess our, our wrongdoing, God will forgive us. And so today, we don't need priests or to sacrifice a lamb at the temple in order to be made clean. That's, that's because Jesus, the Lamb of God, went to the cross and died and became the ultimate final sacrifice for yours and my sin. His blood washes us clean when we choose to believe in his life, death, resurrection, his lordship, and we choose to believe in him as our savior. And when we commit to living our lives for him, for Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our sins, past and present and future, are covered by his blood and we are washed clean. And so to be a Christian means to be forgiven. It is to be recovered. It is to be blessed, to be happy. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are forgiven. Now, this, this doesn't mean that we never have to confess our sins again, or else I would have uh, been wasting all of your time up here this morning. It doesn't mean that we never have to again repent You know, there's, there's an idea, a popular movement, I guess you could call it, 
out there today, sometimes referred to as hyper grace, that just so emphasizes this fact that we are forgiven that it kind of downplays and ignores the need for confession, for repentance. Some people in this realm have said that the Lord's prayer is old covenant and we don't really need to do that anymore because it says, forgive us our trespasses. And that kind of radical denial of the need for confession is not really consistent with the Bible, especially not in the New Testament. There's a reason why every single week, including this one, we dedicate a portion of our service to a a prayer Focus on confessing our sin and then being assured of our forgiveness from the Bible. It's not a moment in our services where we want you to just wallow in guilt and think about how bad of a person you are. It's to reflect on how often we fall short of God's glory and how freely he forgives us over and over and over and over again without reservation. And, and don't all, only let this confession, this, this practice be a part of your life when you're at church. I'd encourage you to make it a part of your personal prayer throughout the week. Confess your sin, reflect on, on what you have done, and ask him to forgive you. Again, he will. And so, to be forgiven... In Christ, to be a forgiven one doesn't mean that we never confess our sin again, but what it does mean is that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the work of of cleansing us from impurity has already been accomplished. If, If you're a Christian and you happen to die without confessing every single last sin that you've committed, you don't need to worry about your salvation. You are forgiven. But when we regularly confess our sin to God and and ask him to forgive us, we remind ourselves of his past sacrifice, his, his present work, his present grace, and our future hope of glory that we receive without without deserving any of it. And so the first half of Psalm 32, verses 1 to 5, we see that confession is the path to forgiveness. Moving to our next point, verses 6 to 11 show us that forgiveness is the path to joy. Look at verses 6 and 7. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. Here's the turning point in the psalm. David's confessed his sin. He's given in. He's he's received forgiveness and, and grace and relief from his guilt and shame. And now, uh, he... After he has forgiven his, his, this grace, his re, he's received this forgiveness, his relationship with the Lord changes. God the afflictor in verses 3 and 4 becomes God the hiding place in verse 6 and 7. 
And notice that in verse uh, verse 6, the, the godly, it, he addresses the godly. This, this means that the godly aren't supposed to be, aren't expected to be sinless. They're not expected to be perfect people. But they are expected to turn to God for grace and forgiveness when they do mess up. And then we come across a, a phrase that is, is kind of tricky, at a, at a time when you may be found. What does that mean? I thought God was everywhere all the time. Is, is he ignoring? Does, does he ignore us? Is he too busy? Does, does he take time off? No, this isn't, this isn't talking about God ignoring us or, or being on vacation or being too busy to listen. He is always available to hear our prayers, at, at least for now. But we cannot delay coming to him indefinitely. If we wait too long, eventually our lives will end or Christ will come again. And so the time when God may be found is now. But it won't last forever. Christian, if you have unconfessed sin in your life, don't delay in bringing it to the Lord. He will forgive you. And if you're not someone who the, who the psalm would call godly, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if, if you've never admitted that you are an imperfect sinner and, and need a Savior, it's even more urgent for you. Do you feel burdened by guilt over the things you've done? Do you feel empty? Is, is your life missing something? Some sort of meaning, some sort of purpose. Don't delay. Don't wait until it's too late. Turn to God. Ask him to forgive you and he will. He will save you from your sin. He wants to. And again in verse 7 we see that the, the God, the afflictor, who is, who is putting his heavy hand on David in verses 3 and 4 here becomes his hiding place, his refuge. This is the recovery of the relationship. This is reconciliation. Instead of being an enemy, David's restored to his God who is his hiding place, his preserver. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. This means that this, this whole psalm, this whole sermon would, would be pointless if it were not for the fact that Yahweh is good and merciful. We heard in the call to worship today that he's, he's gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. There's no point in confessing our sin to a God who doesn't care. There's no point in confessing our sin to God unless he is merciful and good. And verse 7 shows us his character. We confess sin to a very good and very merciful God. And so biblical confession is grounded in his very character. Confession is, is for our own good. It's not just where we dredge up old mistakes and, and, and wallow in guilt and shame. There is joy in confessing our sin. It's where we get to release that weight and guilt 
that shame, that anxiety of being found out, and can again be restored into right relationship with God who is gracious, merciful, and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He can be our hiding place in the day of trouble, safe refuge for us when life spins out of control. He's not some just disapproving parent who kind of begrudgingly lets us off the hook. He wants to forgive you. He wants your relationship with him to be restored and to draw you close to himself. Look down at verses 8 and 9 and say, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. There's a shift in perspective here. Uh, instead of David talking to God vertically, he, he turns and looks around and talks to the people. This freedom that he's found in confession is, feels so good, it's so freeing. It's such a relief that he wants others to know about the joy of confession. He wants others to also be released from their guilt, from their sin, and to be restored into peace with God. And so he takes on the role of teacher and he shows people why, why it is so important, why it is such a joy to confess and to be forgiven. Those are the best kinds of teachers, right? The ones who have experienced something, the ones who really truly know it deep down. It's the difference between a travel agent and a tour guide. A travel agent can describe Hawaii to you. You know, there's big mountains and uh, the people are nice and the beaches are, are warm. The ocean is blue, but, but a tour guide doesn't describe. A tour guide revels in that experience with you. Look at that. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it beautiful to be here? These verses are an amazing exhortation, encouragement for discipleship. As we, as we walk side by side with our brothers and sisters in the church, we get to say, look at what Christ has done for me. I wouldn't be the man or the woman I am today without Jesus. Every day I can live with the confidence of knowing that I am loved unconditionally. I know what my purpose for life is. I know where I'm going when I die. Jesus changed my life and he changes every minute of my day. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it beautiful? This is the kind of testimony that transforms how we view confession. When you show and share the love of Jesus with one another, be a tour guide, not a travel agent. Not only should you not be a travel agent, by the way, no offense to travel agents, uh, it's an honorable profession. But not only should you not be a travel agent, you, shouldn't also, you should also not be a dumb mule. David's words, not mine. Um, in verse 
uh, in verse 9, he's saying, don't be stubborn like I was. Don't be someone who has to be forced into doing what's right. Like a, like a bit and a bridle in a horse's mouth that, control, that helps someone control where it has to go. It's, it's so much better when we willingly go to God for grace and forgiveness. Again, he offers it freely. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, that, that, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. With confidence draw near to the throne of grace knowing that he will forgive. And finally, in verses 10 and 11, we are again reminded of, of why forgiveness really is the path to joy. It says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but, the steadfast, love, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in Yahweh and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Refusing to acknowledge our sin and continuing to cover it up, it, it, to hide it from God and from others, to keep on living in sin, that, that life isn't, that's not just the wrong way to live, but it, it's not, it's, it's hopeless. It will only bring sorrow and, and guilt and grief and shame, pain and loneliness. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Who, who wants to live like that? What kind of life is that to live? And look, maybe you're listening to this right now and you're like, honestly, I don't, I don't really know what you're talking about. I, I don't really need God. I, I do what makes me happy and my life is actually pretty good. I, I would just respond honestly and say, I don't think that's true. I've tried it. There, there have been times in my life where I've tried the same kind of thing and I wasn't happy. I didn't feel fulfilled. I always felt empty, like there was something missing. There's something more. No amount of, of chasing happiness will fulfill you because it, it doesn't last. And so going back to that question earlier, that one thing that would make you happy. Think back to a time when you got something that you really, really, really wanted. Once you got it, did, did it make you happy? For how long? You know, a new car might make you feel excited for a little while, but six months in, that, that feeling is worn off, and a bigger bank account might make you feel a bit more secure, but it, it never really feels like enough. Does it? And a perfect relationship with the perfect person might fill you with a lot of happiness and joy, that, that feeling of being loved for a while, but eventually you'll let them down or they will let you down. And that Hollywood rom-com bliss goes away pretty quickly. And it's not that having these things are bad things, they're, they're great they are good gifts from God, but that's all they are. They're just gifts. 
and, and they all eventually leave us wanting more. I think that deep down, you know that. The only thing that will bring true and lasting satisfaction is being restored to peace with God when we confess our sin to him and ask for forgiveness. If God is enough to satisfy God, he's enough to satisfy you. So only the forgiven are truly happy. And the forgiven are those forgiven by God. And what's the result of that? Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. If you are forgiven, if you're a Christian here, I'd encourage you in a few minutes when we, when we stand and sing again to shout for joy, to sing like you mean it, like you are forgiven. And Christian, being forgiven is exactly why we can forgive others. Can you imagine what it would look like if we really internalized and embodied this fact that we are forgiven? Imagine what our marriages would be like if we forgave when the other hurt. Imagine what our workplaces would look like if we forgave instead of getting into the gossip and drama. Imagine what the church would look like if we forgave one another instead of harboring bitterness towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. The message of this psalm is really quite a simple one. And if I've uh, managed to muddle it up enough, here it is. Confession is the path to forgiveness, and forgiveness is the path to joy. Refusing to admit our sin and, and confess it to the merciful God will only lead us to sorrow. So true confession only happens when we acknowledge that we are sinners. And it takes a degree of humility uh, to admit that because it, it's hard and it doesn't initially feel good. But the joy that comes from, from being forgiven outweighs any discomfort, any uncomfortable feelings of, of admitting that we've messed up. It's not even close. It's, it's this freeing uplifting, life-giving joy that can't be found anywhere else but in the saving blood of Jesus Christ. And so if you're a Christian, I'd, I'd, if you're not a Christian, I'd ask you to, to really dig into yourself and, and ask yourself if the life you're living now really feels good, if you're really content with, with where it's at. Or if you can't help but wonder if maybe there's something more. And Christian, if, if you're hiding a sin, don't wait in confessing it to the Lord and to one another. Confess it to God and ask him to forgive you. He will. Confess it to your brothers and sisters in Christ and ask them to hold you accountable. We will. And take joy in knowing that you are forgiven. Blessed, happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. And be glad in Yahweh and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So please pray with me. Lord God, we come before you this morning and, and we confess that we don't 
uh, often think of confession as, as a joy. We confess that we so often try to hide and cover our sin like David did. But we also confess that you are a good God who is gracious and merciful. We ask you to forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of our pride. Make us humble men and women who who freely come to you with joy in our hearts, confess our sin to you, uh, trusting that you are faithful and good to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Make us glad in you today. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sin and is reigning on high, we pray. Amen.